Well, good morning again. Great to see you. I'm going to have Kerry share something that he got during worship and uh, kind of goes along with my sermon, too. So, had this all planned because I had my little grandson, the Gipper, here, and I was going to hold him while I was doing this. During worship, I saw a picture of a, of a large fence and a little boy just trucking along the side of that fence. You couldn't see through the fence, and it was kind of lickety clickety click, you know, with the stick thing. You've seen that before. And uh, I had commented to Troy this morning that. We're still boys. We're a little older. Some of us are a lot older, but we're still boys. And then this picture comes to mind. This little guy is going along, and he gets to a knot hole. And he looks through the knot hole, and he can see things he'd never seen before. And I've spent a lot of time with a lot of you in the last several weeks. And I know that this next part of the story that I saw this morning fits a lot of us, including me. That you're really happy between that knot hole, and you're looking through there, and you clickety-click to the next one. You get to this knot hole, and it's just a tad too high. And you fight it, and you want to see it, and you're, you spend a lot of energy and time to see things clearly. God says, as the song said this morning, wait. Just wait. That's what he asks of us, is to wait. I'll grant you understanding, because your thoughts, my thoughts, they're not the same. I'll grant you that understanding when the time comes. John, there's a knot hole in your life. There's a few of the rest of you that I would point out purposely, but... John's my son-in-law, so I can, or my, uh, yeah, son-in-law, and so I, I trust that he'll take this as a, but there are some of you that I've talked to, wait on the Lord, he'll grant you the understanding, and as that young boy grew, then he was able to see more clearly what he needed to see when God said, I'll let you see. Thanks, Carrie. It's a good place to pray. Jesus, we, we love you today. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you that you're here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have come to reveal Christ. You've come to reveal the word. You've come to reveal what the Father is doing in and through us. And we pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the word of God to our hearts, that we would be changed, that we would receive what you have for us. Lord, I pray that we would not leave here um, the same, but Lord, that we would be different, that we would receive something from your presence. God, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're alive, God. And I pray, Lord, all of us can relate to that when we come to those places where we want to see and we can't. I pray, God, that we would wait on the Lord. Lord, because you're trustworthy. And so today, Lord God, we give you our hearts. We give you our lives in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Yes, I have glasses on. Just, I got to get that out there, you know, just need to talk about that. I've been self-conscious since I got them. My wife says uh, not everybody's paying attention to that, but I think that everyone's looking at me really weird. So, uh, yeah, I graduated to glasses, never worn them in my life, and uh, got them on Thursday. I've had, a fun, had fun with a couple of people that did not recognize me, and so uh, I was going to play some games with people, but uh, so people have looked at me and like, who are you? And, but, yeah, I was going to have some, some sort of spiritual about this, that I can see clearer now, which is nice. Uh, probably the most spiritual thing about this is I can see the clock very clearly. <laughs> and all God's children said, amen. You know, say, yeah, yeah. It's like, pay attention to that clock. It's so clear now. Before it was blurry, so it didn't care. I just kept on preaching, so it always looked like 11.15 to me. So that's probably... Probably the other side of it is, you know, people say, you know, well, did God speak something? Yeah, um, he spoke something to my stubbornness. 
Um, I was supposed to have, it was about a year and a half ago was when I was first told that you should probably have your eyes checked at the, uh, you know, at the DMV and they do your eye test and they said, well, you pass, but you should have your vision checked. And I said, I'll get right on that. <laughs> 18 months later, um, here I am. But uh, so probably some stubbornness in my own heart to, uh, to put that off. Uh, so if I had a word for you, don't be stubborn. Put your glasses on and see clearer and, clearer and clearly. But uh, so, yeah, looks a little different, I'm sure. But here I am. Thank you. I look wise. Thank you, Sandy. Man, God bless you. Somebody said you now actually look like you know what you're talking about. So I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Today we are uh, we're actually finishing the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've been um, kind of beginning this series um, talking about this greatest sermon that was ever preached by Jesus his only full-length sermon. I love this sermon. I love what he speaks to us through this sermon. So today, we're actually finishing up the Beatitudes. I've spent a long time in the Beatitudes. I'm not going to spend quite as long in the rest of the, of the sermon, but I felt like that this was so important because this is how Jesus comes out of the gate. This is the first words out of his mouth as he gathers his disciples around him in this sermon. You read that where his disciples gathered around. He's up on this mountain, thus the name Sermon on the mound. By the time he's done with this sermon, there's a great crowd of people around him, but he began to teach his disciples really about what it means to follow him, these keys of the kingdom. And the reason why I've taken so long on the Beatitudes is it's somewhat, I believe, the foundation he was laying as he was preaching this sermon or teaching his disciples. He's laying a foundation. As, as we all know, in a building, you know, when you're building a structure, the foundation is the most important. And Jesus spends this time building this foundation to basically say, you need to get the foundation before we move forward. Because the Sermon on the Mount really is, is one big sermon on the heart. He gets to the heart of man. He gets to the heart of us. He, he really reaches beyond especially the religious spirit that we can all tend to gravitate to. And he reaches into the heart of man and he... Uh, he tests our motives. He tests what is there. So it's, it is a sermon on the heart and the intentions of our hearts. And so he lays out the Beatitudes. So we're going to be finishing up that today. But these keys to the kingdom. We've been in Matthew chapter 5. Um, I, I wanted to just kind of give a little bit of an overview. Again, when, when Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn, that word blessed, again, the definition, you've heard me say this, but I think it bears repeating as we talk about a foundation here, eternally happy, spiritually prosperous. The word kind of broken down is happy, but it's talking about eternal happiness, spiritual prosperity, life, joy, satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of outward conditions. And so it's, it's eternally happy. It's an internal contentedness in our spirit. I think that you know, most human beings are after that, that contentedness of spirit. And Jesus gives us these keys on how to walk that out. I don't think it was by accident that they're in the order that they're in. I don't think Jesus did anything by accident. I think that there was a reason and a purpose of even the order of the Beatitudes. And I'll, I'll explain a little bit of that as we get into today. As we talk about peace and persecution. It's the last two uh, Beatitudes that we will look at. Um, but, but 
we're going to be looking at this idea of peace. And Carrie gave that word about sometimes we come and we can all, all understand that where we come to places in our life where we could, wish we could see clearer. Sometimes it's more than glasses. Sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. And he is developing in us peace in the midst of waiting. And we're going to get again into that a little bit more. But I believe that there was an intention by Jesus in the order in which he gave these foundations of the kingdom, that he said, almost like if you, if you don't get this one, it's going to be hard to understand the next. It's like a revelation. If you, you know, you, you've had information before, but if you don't have the information before the information, it's harder to get this. You understand what I'm saying? I've been there. But again, he, he sets these out, I believe, in a specific order, and he begins by, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The promise is they get, they get the kingdom. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It simply means realizing our complete and do, total dependence on God. We desperately need him. That without him, we are spiritually and morally bankrupt. He is what we need. Jesus Christ is the one that we need. That we realize that we're poor in spirit. We can't by our own good works. We can't be nice enough or good enough to... to attain his favor, it is through the cross of Christ. And when we understand that, when we get that revelation that it is because of the cross that we have life, it's hard to get everything else. Then we begin to frame everything from a, a religious perspective. It's saying, Jesus, your payment on the cross was everything that I could ever need, and I'm totally dependent on you. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And you can understand why he said that one first. Total dependence on God. Two, he says, blessed are those that mourn, they will be comforted. That, that attitude of mourning is an attitude of repentance, living a day-to-day -day life of repentance. That our sin should break our heart because it grieves the heart of God, not in a shameful way, not in a condemning way, because Paul even said that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But what we're talking about is a healthy repentance, that my sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross. And then we are, we, when we mourn our sin, God, please forgive me. Jesus, the cross is enough for me. And I receive it. Forgive me. I repent of that sin. I turn and I walk the other way. I walk away from the sin. That's what it means to repent. It doesn't mean just to be sorry. It means to go a different direction. Because the promise there says we will be comforted. And it's not just a, any comfort. This is comfort by God himself. Is when we truly repent, he comforts us. So realizing our dependence on God, living a life of, of repentance. Third is meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek means strength under control. It is authentic humility. It's not false humility. It's not, you know, I'm a good for nothing and, you know, uh, kind of that false humility that people can walk in. It's just realizing again, and it's tied together with the other ones, is I need God. That without him I could do nothing. Blessed are the meek. Authentic humility and the promises that they will inherit the earth, they will have impact, they will have influence. That's how Jesus walked. Because in all of these teachings, he's revealing himself. That's the greatest key as we get out of all of this is we get Jesus. And he was meek. He walked in humility. He didn't, you know, Philippians 2 says he didn't call equality with God as something that he was just going to go around bragging about. He, just, he was just who he was, and he walked in meekness and great strength. Meekness actually means strength under control. It means great strength, but it's authentic humility. 
4, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It's being spiritually hungry and thirsty, for they will be filled. Again, these are all tied together, but it's realizing our need for God and hungering and thirsting for his righteousness, for his presence every day. Jesus, I need you today. Like I need water, like I need food, I need you today. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for him. Then blessed are the merciful. You notice that all of those are our relationship with God. The next one are blessed are the merciful. It's our relationship with other people. Jesus said the commandments can be boiled down to this. Love God with everything that's within you and then love people as you love yourself. So blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. We are called to reveal and show the mercy of Christ to people we come in contact with. We're not just believers to get to heaven one day. But we are believers, we are followers of Jesus, and you see him in the Gospels, and if we are following him, he is leading us to the broken, he's leading us to the outcasts, he's leading us to show people mercy in in practical ways, because he has shown us great mercy. And we do it out of, again, out of a loving relationship with him. We don't do it out of works, we don't do it to get him to like us more, we do it because we love him, and we are motivated by his love. And then he says this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? When we refer to the heart, it's, it's, it's the real person. It's the authentic you and me. It boils down to this. What is our motivation? Why do we do the things that we do? What is the driving factor of our lives? And it, we should pray this prayer every day like David prays. Search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Try my heart. Test my motives. And keep me pure at heart. It's the prayer of the pure heart. And so again, I, I, I say all those because we're building a foundation of where we're going in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Today, Matthew 5, 9 through 12, peace and persecution. Let's look at the text here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons or children of God. Verse 10 of Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Listen to this phrase, because of me. It's going to be important in a minute when we talk about persecution. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So peace and persecution. It's interesting that these are together. You know, the contrast. When, when I think of peace, I don't necessarily think of persecution. Do you? We all kind of have an idea of when we say, you know, we, we, we want some peace. Sometimes we come home and we, I just want a little peace and quiet. And we equate that maybe to sitting in the chair with no one around and maybe with a book or just maybe just, you know, as a guy, I don't think ladies can do this as much. We can just turn the off switch off on our brain, click, and I'm not thinking about anything. We really can do that, ladies, by the way. Some guys can't. I can do that. What are you thinking about? Nothing. And it's true. And ladies are like, I have no idea what that is. It's a blessing, ladies. It's a blessing. So... But peace, we don't usually associate with persecution, but there was a reason why Jesus put these together. Because he's talking about something different than just having a little peace and quiet in the house. 
What kind of peace is he talking about? I'm going to spend the majority of this time talking about peace, what it means to be a peacemaker. Is it simply one that breaks up fights or intervenes in conflict? I'm going to to tell you no. It It can't be a part of that. But I want to look at this idea of blessed are the peacemakers. First of all, the promise. The promise to the peacemaker. They will be called sons or children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. The promise, I think, is a byproduct of the attitude The promise of being children of God, it is a byproduct of the attitude. Why? Because we look and we act like our Father. One of the names of God is Jehovah Shalom. You probably heard the word Shalom, which means peace. One of the titles that he goes by is the Lord, our peace. He, in his very nature, is peace. And so the byproduct of the promise of the attitude is when we are walking in peace, we look like the Father. You know, there, there's times where that can be a compliment when, when they go, you know, he, they got, that, that young man looks just like his dad or he acts just like his father or the daughter looks, you know, that, that there's a, there's, the good parts are good. You don't want that to be a negative. That's, that's not a compliment. You know, I bet you get that from your dad. That's not a compliment when you hear it that way. Just, just help. But it is a compliment when they see something in your child and they say, you know, that's just like you. And it's a compliment to say that we, that our children, there's a reflection of us in our children, that they are acting like us. And so God the Father who is peace, when we walk in peace, we look like him. Jesus modeled this because he, he, he was always at peace. One of the, the prophetic names of Jesus was the Prince of Peace. He was just who the Father called him to be as he walked upon the earth. And Jesus even said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. He acted like the Father because he walked in great peace. And then when we walk in that peace, we look like Christ, who looks just like the Father. But being a peacemaker isn't just, you know, act or acts of intervention. But I believe a lifestyle of peace. And I'll say this, we cannot truly be peacemakers until we ourselves are walking in peace. And so I'm going to spend a little bit of time of how do we walk in peace. And really, if I could say it in one statement, but you know as pastors, we're not going to just say it in one statement. That'd be too easy. Then we could just go home. I'm going to elaborate on this. But we just look at Jesus of what it means to walk in great peace. We look at the Gospels, how he ministered, how he did things. We're going to look at him. He controlled the spiritual climate wherever he went. He walked in great peace wherever he went. You do not see him anxious. You do not see him nervous. You do not see him stressed. He did have human moments, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit. It's not that we don't have stressful moments. You see him stressed in the garden before the crucifixion. I mean, he understands what is coming. He understands that persecution is right around the corner. He understands what he's about to endure. And it says it in the garden. He was very stressed to the point of sweating blood. But the point is, 
is that as we walk in stressful moments, stress did not control him. Anxiety and worry did not control him. He walked in great peace even though he would have moments of stress. He walked in confidence of who he was and in his, this is key, his relationship with the Father. Not only did he walk in peace, he brought peace. I love that, you know, and I've said this before, but I love that story where he is in the boat. He's in the, you know, in the sleeping quarters of the boat. There's a storm and he's taking a nap. That's his stress level. And I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have those moments where we can rest in the midst of storms in our lives. I think Jesus modeled that greatly, and it was more than just a neat moment. He was saying, you can have rest in the midst of the storm. But it's all about relationship with the Father and the confidence we have in who we are and who God's created us to be as his children. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. And I love the confidence that you see, especially in little children, the confidence they have in their parents. This is my dad, this is my mom, and, and, and I have confidence in who I am in them. And so you see him asleep in the storm, and then the, the disciples are stressed out, and they wake him up, and then he even becomes master over the storm, and he can become the master of your storm and my storm. And he can speak peace, be still to the storm, and then it subsides. And the disciples sitting there in awe saying, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's the same Jesus that is in you and me that can be a master over our storms. And we know this by relationship with him. John 14, I love this, and, 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 and as you look at John you know, 13 through 17, you have this, 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 this kind of uh, stretch of passage of Scripture before the arrest of Jesus, before his crucifixion. But in John 14, he's, he knows that he's getting ready to go to persecution in this passage. He knows what's ahead of him, and here's what he says, John 14, 25 through 27. If you want to look at that, you can. I'm just going to read it to you. He says this, all this I have spoken while still with you. And he had just given them promises of eternal life. You know, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I've gone to be, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's saying all this, and he's kind of setting them up to talk to them about a few things. And then he says, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, is he reminds us of what Jesus teaches. He reminds us of the truth of who Jesus is. Then he says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so Jesus in this moment, he's about to leave. He's about to be arrested. And he's trying to give them these, this encouragement. And here's one of the things that he's saying I'm giving to you. My peace, the peace that I have that peace that you've seen me walk in, the peace that you've seen me operate in, my peace I'm giving to you. I'm going to give that to you as a gift. Folks, we have the ability to receive the peace of Christ in this world. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he says. I'm giving you. He, he promises the Holy Spirit. Then he immediately follows that by saying, my peace I give to you. He didn't just say, I'll give you some peace. Do we get the power of what he's saying? I'm giving you my peace. I give you my peace. I leave it with you when I go away. And so we have this ability to have the peace of Christ. And to have this peace that surpasses understanding that goes beyond storms and it goes beyond trials. And we can rest in the midst of the storm and that's his peace and he gives it to us. So then we ask this question, why, why don't we walk in that peace? And I simply think that it's a relational issue of, of walking in intimacy and relationship with Christ. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you that through Scripture. But it's interesting that peace is one of the gifts uh, or the, one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, Barry preached on the fruits of the Spirit last week. Peace is one of those. And I like to call the fruits of the Spirit the proof of the Spirit. If you want to tell me that you're filled with the Spirit, I'm going to look for some fruit. And peace is one of those. And if I see a person that is walking in very little peace, I'm saying you need, you need a fresh infilling and baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because God wants to give us peace. Jesus wants to give us peace. First Peter Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15, we should be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. And so as we're walking in the peace of Christ, people are going to wonder what we have. The world will wonder when we walk in authentic relationship with Christ and it produces the fruit of peace in our lives and it produces really Him and His peace that He's given us. Again, I'm not saying that there's not moments. I have those moments. It's very interesting. This past week was a very non-peaceful week for me. Isn't that interesting? So you're going to preach on peace. Let's throw this at him, you know, see how he deals with that. So I get to walk it out too. I get to try to pass these tests and fail these tests and retake these tests. Can I get an amen for that, you know? But Peter says that, be ready to give an answer for the hope. And he's talking about the, the hope within you, the peace within you. When, when the world looks on and they see something authentic about you, they don't see religion. They don't see you following the rules. They don't see you trying to be nicer than them. They see something authentic about you. And you have a peace. And you have a storm in your life and you have a peace. And they're saying, what, what's the deal? And Peter says, be ready because people are going to pay attention to that. Be ready to give a, the answer for the hope, the peace that's in us. Look at some of these scriptures on peace, and I'm going to go through these rather quickly as we look at what it means to be a peacemaker, to have peace. Romans 12, 17 through 18 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. And you'll see a lot of these, this, 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 the Sermon on the Mount translating to the writings of Paul. And he's saying, Don't act like the world. Don't respond like the world does. Respond like Jesus taught us to respond. And he says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Isn't that powerful? But notice he doesn't say, if it's possible, as far as it depends on them. As far as it depends on your circumstances. As far as it depends on this. No, he says, as far as it depends on you. 
The only one that can take you out of peace is yourself. And so he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, we, I just, we need to live a life that says, I don't have time to be stressed and worried about all this stuff. I, I, you know, to, that's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has kind of the concerns for, uh, of its own. Just walk with me. Romans 14, 19 is another one. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Every effort to do what leads to peace. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind the people, Paul is talking to Titus, this pastor. Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities. To be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one. To be peaceable and considerate. Or to be a peacemaker, really. And to show, show true humility toward all men. That's a, that's a heavy and weighty passage of Scripture. Being subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, showing true humility toward all men. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So isn't that interesting, the tie between peace and holiness? And then Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I love that one because it's not about us trying to conjure up peace within us. All of this should point us to the cross. All of this should, all of this should point us to the finished work of Christ. And say, because of what you did, I can have peace. Not trying to muster it up, not trying to have enough willpower. Is I fall at the cross every day. That's why the Beatitudes are in the order, is the, the dependence on Jesus every day. When you understand that we're totally dependent on God, it actually leads you to be able to walk in peace. I can't do it without Him. And then the last passage, there's many more, but I'm going to give you one last one. 1 Peter 3, 10 through 11. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good, and he must seek peace and pursue it. We've got to pursue peace. And that's really an amazing thing because peace is a person. Jehovah Shalom, Jesus is our peace. He is the Prince of Peace. When we are pursuing him, we get peace. I like that. That was good. That was, that was one of my exclamation points. You guys didn't seem very excited about that, man. I was like, they're going to be jumping out of their seats on that one. But here's some enemies of being peacemakers and walking in peace. First of all, and, and these are kind of cheesy and corny, but you'll maybe remember them. Not peacemakers, but first is peace takers. See how I did that, that little rhyme? You can wrap these later if you want. <clears throat> Peace takers, these are what will take our peace away. And so I want to just list a few. And, and again, these are not just intended to stack up and, and, you know, make you, oh, yeah, I deal with that, I deal with that. I, you're going to deal with a lot of these. But the intention is to have us run to the cross and run to Jesus because we need him. But these are peace takers. Worry. Jesus said, don't worry. Obviously, a peacetaker is sinfulness itself when we are living in sin. 
you will see people not walking in a lot of peace. Anxiety, fear, stress, doubt, unbelief. Now, again, let me stop there. We're all, we all have those moments. I'm not saying that you should never have those moments. We all have those seasons. And me preaching about it today, I'm probably going to have more opportunities this week. I hope not. So, Junior, you think you're going to tell everybody, oh, I'm going to let you pass this test again. We have moments, but the, the, the issue here is, are we dictated by that? Is it, does it control us, or are we in control? See, Jesus, even in the garden where he's praying, and he's, he's, he's troubled in his spirit. But he did not live under that. And that's the point. That is the key to being a peacemaker. That is also the key to authentic Christianity. It's not that the world sees you being fake, that you put on some sort of happy face in all your moments of doubt and unbelief, and yeah, everything's great, and it's not great. You know, it's okay to say, no, not, not everything is going well right now. As a, the human condition is kind of funny, and you know, we joke about that, I joke with Steve about this, is, you know, how you doing? It's like, well, sit down, I'll tell you. It's going to be a while. We don't really want to hear that. How you doing? We want to say, great, and then move on. Or, okay, or I, I like this one, not too bad. What kind of an answer is not too bad? That means you're bad, but not too bad. I always think that's funny. But we have moments. Are we dictated by them? That's the key. Another peace taker is unforgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? Is there somebody that, that the Lord just puts on your heart and your mind? Maybe somebody that has offended you. It could be years ago, and maybe you've never really dealt with it. Sometimes we've gone through something, and we kind of have to remind ourselves to forgive. And there will be those opportunities to take on the offense again. And God wants to set us free from that. Again, in all these, we have to look at the cross. Look at what we've been forgiven of. Look at what Jesus did, and it helps us to have mercy on other people. But unforgiveness is huge, especially when you've been through something. And there's all kinds of stories throughout this whole room. And I'm not here to make light or, or say that they're less somehow. You, when, when you've gone through something, it's real, and it hurts, and it's painful. But what Jesus would say is for the sake of your own heart, you need to forgive and extend forgiveness. Because ultimately, unforgiveness, it just puts chains on yourself. But unforgiveness can be a peace taker for sure. And if God's bringing something into your heart, if the Holy Spirit's reminding you, I, I encourage you to make that right. Another peace taker is selfishness. When we just live for us, for me. Because you see these people in unhealthy striving, it's always trying to figure out what's going to benefit them. Peace takers are complaining. That's why Paul deals with it. James talks about complaining or being negative. Here's another peace taker, vying for position. Notice Jesus, he did, again, the, the opposite kingdom. You want to be great, be a servant. You want to be awesome, be the least. And when we vie for position and when we're trying to push people out of the way so that we can promote ourselves and look how awesome I am, you, you don't see a lot of peace in people that will do that. Another peace taker is believing the worst, being suspicious of people. 
And again, I remind these, and if the Holy Spirit's putting these things in your mind, just make them right. That's where you walk to the Lord and say, please forgive me. And he forgives you, and he washes you, and he cleanses you. But these will take our peace. You know, it's not that hard when you're talking to someone. It's not, it doesn't take very long to see if they're a person of peace or not. And you begin to pinpoint, you know, you, you meet people and, and you feel an anxiousness about them. And there's something going on in there. And Jesus wants to extend his peace. My peace, I leave with you. And I want to take that peace. So peace takers, what about peace fakers? I'm telling you, these are good. I'm telling you. <laughs> peace fakers, it's the appearance of peace, but not true peace. It's a facade. Where sometimes we walk at peace at all costs. This is interesting because we shared a little bit about this um, uh, when, when Athena and I were first, you know, when we were first married. She came from a family that talked about everything. They just aired it all out. Communication over communication. I mean, they talked about everything. I'm over at her house having dinner, you know, and her dad and her brother are just having an argument. I feel like, do I need to leave? I, you know, this is uncomfortable. And no, they're just working things out. Well, I'm uncomfortable. Can I leave? But I was the opposite end of the spectrum. It was peace at all costs. We didn't talk about anything in my family. You just, no confrontation. You just kind of, but you could feel the tension. You know what I'm talking about? You could cut it with a knife. And everybody knows that some, you know, there's an elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. So we just ignore the elephant. And he just stays there. And then he brings some of his friends. And then it's a room full of elephants. And nobody's talking about anything. And so these are the two people that got married. See some of the hurdles that we had to deal with. I didn't want to talk about anything. She wanted to talk about everything. And so I had to figure out when to talk, and she needed to figure out, when not, I can't communicate about that. And we had to work through some things. But I was a peace faker. I mean, I really was. It was, it was peace at all costs. Not, don't, don't talk about it. Non-confrontational does just not even deal with it. But that's, and that can seem like peace. It looks like peace, but it's not peace. And so sometimes we need to work it out. Sometimes, you know, we got to understand that peace is not the absence of conflict. Now, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that, understanding that. But sometimes a peaceful thing can, is, 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 is lovingly confronting someone. Because another peace faker is enabling someone. Well, you become an enabler because you don't want to get them truly the help or you don't want to confront them some way. So sometimes, yeah, peace can come in the form of loving confrontation. And we have to run from both of these peace takers and peace fakers. And what is a true peacemaker? Let me give you a description. It's confident in who they are in Christ. You see a person of, of humility. They're humble. They're selfless. Quiet strength. Teachable. Hopeful. They're gentle. They're positive. They trust in God's sovereignty, although they can't see through the knothole in the fence. And that's a tough one because it's, it's God, I don't understand the season I'm in right now, but I trust you. I'm not trusting in my circumstances, my outward conditions, and that whole thing of, you know, what it means to be blessed. It's, it's, it's with the exception of what is going on 
in the outward conditions of our lives. It's, it's regardless of those things, I'm walking in peace because I belong to him. It's trusting in the sovereignty of God in our lives. This person, is a li- they live a life of repentance. They hunger and thirst for Jesus every day. You see the be- they're walking in the Beatitudes. They're surrendered to Christ. They're merciful to others, understanding God's mercy for them. They're pure in heart before God. And you will see a person, and you will see the, the fruits of the Spirit in a very peaceful person. They're loving. They're joyful. They're patient. They're kind. They're gentle. And see, again, what you're seeing there is you're seeing a person that has Christ in them because we see the description of Christ himself. Again, let me say, it's not that you don't have moments, but it's are you dictated by the moment or are you the one that is controlling the spiritual atmosphere with Christ in us? And it's even to the point that you have peace in the midst of persecution. And that's why it's interesting that he talks about being a peacemaker. Then he talks about persecution. Again, let me read this. Blessed are those that are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The persecuted that get the kingdom. Knowing that you belong to the one who endured the greatest persecution. And see, Jesus knew what he was going to endure. He was going to endure the greatest persecution ever known to man. And yet he walked in great peace. But listen to what he says, the promise. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. There is a distinction. Please understand the distinction. And he even says that you're persecuted because of me. Let's make sure we're being persecuted for living right for the Lord and walking with Jesus. Sometimes we're persecuted for being religious. Or we are persecuted for having a bad attitude. If you're not like Christ and you're being persecuted, do not say that you're being persecuted because of Christ. Let's be persecuted for the right reasons. As we're walking with Jesus, if they persecute us for walking like Christ, then we have that distinction. Jesus says, for righteousness sake. Blessed are those that persecute you for righteousness sake. What is righteous? It means right living, living before him, being clothed in his righteousness, looking like Christ. And the promise is, again, they get the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to close with this, Philippians 4. You can turn there if you like. Peace and persecution, these are kind of keys to peace with Christ. It's a picture of peace. I love the book of Philippians. It's probably one of my favorite in the New Testament. Because what's interesting is Paul wrote this from prison. And when he's saying things and when he's writing about peace and he's writing about joy and the book of Philippians is sometimes called the book of joy. When you hear those descriptions of the book, when you see his conditions, you're not thinking joy and peace. You're thinking joy and peace would be the absence of what you're in. He's writing from a prison. So he is enduring intense persecution for righteousness sake. He was preaching the gospel 
He was living for Christ, and he's thrown in prison because of that. But he had great joy, and he had peace in the midst of it. And he had, again, he had true peace, eternal peace. Not peace based on his circumstances, but peace that Jesus gives in spite of it, the conditions that he was living in. So let's look at this text, and I'm just going to break this down as we close here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. And I love this. Again, can you imagine? I want you to you know, kind of almost visually picture this guy sitting in this Middle Eastern dungeon. And he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Then listen to the promise. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will go beyond human reasoning, human thought, human conditions, human circumstances, and it will guard your heart. So you could even say it like this. You could read the promise of saying, if you want the peace, because he's, he's, given, you, he's given us an if-then principle. If you will understand this, then you will get this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and then the peace of God will transcend your heart and your, uh, your understanding. Let your gentleness be evident to all, and the peace of God will transcend your understanding. Do not be anxious about anything, and the peace of God will transcend your understanding. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God will transcend your understanding in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or have seen, put it into practice. Then he says this, and the God of peace will be with you. So if you want God's peace, think on those things. Renew your mind is what he's saying. Think about those things that are lovely and pure and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Meditate on those things, and then you will have God's peace. Then he finishes his thoughts here. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, listen to this, to be content or at peace. Whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, because I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. And in this whole thing of peace, when Jesus is saying, blessed are you if you walk in peace, if you are a peacemaker, even through persecution, understanding that we cannot have peace without Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is, is, is encouraging us with, that sitting from this jail, my circumstances are, are not good, but if you understand that what you have in Christ, if you understand the gift that you have in Jesus, if you understand the precious price that was paid for you by Jesus, this should give you great peace. Because 
in spite of your circumstances, we belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. We have an eternal promise in Christ that one day we will rule and reign with him. All of this stuff that we're dealing with on the world will be, we will fade. And that we can have the confidence, assurance that who we are in Christ, he is all we need. The cross of Christ, he paid it all, that we have everything we need in him. So he gives us the secret to peace and contentment. And here's the secret. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me the strength. Let's pray. Jesus, it is all about you. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for what we have in you. Thank you for the promises that we have. Lord, thank you that we can be peacemakers because of what you did. We can't muster it up. We, Lord, we don't have enough willpower. We don't have enough goodness within us to somehow figure it out. Lord, we declare today, as Paul did, that we can do all things through you who gives us strength. We can have peace because of you. We can have peace in the midst of persecution because of you. We can have peace in the midst of the storm because of you. We can walk as peacemakers and control the atmosphere that is around us because we're walking in the peace of Christ. Lord, today we receive that gift where you looked at your disciples and he said, you said, my peace I give to you. I leave it with you. Lord, we want to take up that peace today. No matter where you're at in life, whatever you're going through, whatever condition, circumstance you find yourself in, I encourage you today, just in the in your quietness of your own heart, begin to say, Lord, I receive your peace. I receive you. Just begin to tell him that. He sees your heart and he sees what you're going through. And it is important to him. So, Lord, we receive your peace. We receive your peace, Lord, in the midst of physical issues. In the midst of financial issues. In the midst of emotional, mental struggles. Lord, we receive the peace that comes with Christ. And, Lord, we fix our gaze upon you. We fix our gaze upon the cross. We give you our hearts. And if you've never done that before or you're struggling in your faith, I encourage you today just to say, Jesus, I receive you today. And out of that honest, authentic place in your heart, not religion, you just simply say, Jesus, I receive you today. You just tell him that, and he hears your heart. So, Lord, we receive you today. We receive all that you've done and all that you are. God, I love you. I praise you. I thank you, God, for these wonderful people. I pray, God, that we would go out and we would be peacemakers, that we would spread the love, the peace, and the grace of Christ wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.